Uh, yeah, Romans 15 is, I think, the chapter in the New Testament I would go to. If someone says to you, what is apostolic ministry all about? Uh, and there's loads of books you can buy, but you could save yourselves a lot of money, just read Romans 15, <laughs> because it's all there. Romans 15 is absolutely the blueprint chapter. So I want to just whistle through it as to what, what do apostles do? What does an apostolic family of churches do? What actually is the blueprint? Uh, and I'm going to park at a couple of particular emphasis because I want to follow on a little bit from Clyde and just add my, for what it's worth, my... my endorsement and to what he's been saying and also my sense of what God has been saying to me right since we started as Relational Mission. I'm so thankful for Clyde and Sherard and the guys at Combran because they're helping fill out what I feel is right but I haven't got the experience to do it and I think they're adding in a DNA. Uh, no, that's not right. We have the DNA, they are helping the DNA produce life and and so it's so encouraging but so I'll try and just sort of add my comments on it just to try and help us just um, well you'll see where we get to anyway uh, if I had time I'd read Romans 15 I don't so you'll have to read it later but just remember this is the blueprint I think for relational mission or for any other family of churches working together I think this is you can find it all in there and the first thing I'd want to note is in verses 1 and 2, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then he talks about Christ not pleasing himself, but you know the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me, etc., etc. And this is all about, Paul's talking about unity and maturity. He's talking about the fact that Christ came to bring together a people and Christ was willing out of his maturity to sacrifice his own well-being for the good of others. So apostolic ministry must always be willing to lift up others at its own expense. Any apostolic family of churches, the goal, the one goal that Christ is still praying for, which must be the thing we catch more than anything, he's, he's, he's praying, Lord, that they may be one. He's praying for unity. So apostolic families of churches that are mature must always have a goal for unity, not to be um, vying for position with other... The problem with names is we need names to give structure, to give legal identity and all the rest of the things so we can function and you know have money and all that sort of stuff. But the problem with names is they can create artificial walls of division, which is is artificial because there is only one church. There is only one church. We've all got different families, just as Jacob blessed his sons and he prophesied to each of his sons, but he didn't prophesy division to them. He prophesied identity to them. And identity was... Families are supposed to have different identities in terms of their, their, their inheritances. and their, So all of Jacob's sons were different and the prophecies were all different, but they all came from the same family. Uh, so... So we, Paul's great longing when he begins Romans 15 is he's, he's saying, no, we've got to, we've got to uh, bear with others, we've got to 
see how we can help others. Christ didn't please himself. He wasn't just after making a name for himself. He was, he was looking around for who can I help, who can I bless? And any apostolic family of churches must always be looking around the body of Christ saying, who can we bless, who can we help, who can we be a blessing to, who can we receive, how can we make ourselves less that others might even become greater? One of the things that God said to me right at the beginning of doing this through a prophetic word is he said, many people are going to get the credit for things that you've done in the background. And he said, be happy with that. So I thought, okay, okay, I'm happy with that. No, I, I don't know how that all works out, but I don't really care. To be honest. I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to know Jesus. Do you know, I found out two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago through a family member that my mother took thalidomide when I, she was expecting me. Right, any of you know thalidomide, most, I'm just happy I can raise my hands because I've got hands. I'm, I'm just happy that Jesus watched over my unformed body and spared me from a life of severe disabilities. I, I just find out more and more mercies every day. So I think, I'm not interested in a name for myself. I'm just, in, I'm just happy I know Jesus, you know. I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, it, it makes you appreciate worship all the more. And you think, oh, who am I to kind of, you know... So I think Paul had kind of learned to, you know, he talks about himself as the chief of sinners and the least of the least, and I'm not a scum of the earth at the end of the queue. And, you know, that's actually what apostles are. They're just, you know, they should be forgotten. They should be completely forgotten because everybody else marches on ahead of them and forgets what they've done. That, that actually, that, if you want to be an apostle, you'll be forgotten, ignored. They won't remember you. They'll remember everybody else who did everything simply because you gave them a little bit of a lift up. Right, now that's, that's not, I'm, I'm not personalizing that, that's biblical. Right, that is biblical. If you feel called to be an apostle, that is what you've got coming. Obscurity. Right, for the sake of other per- people's blessing. So a real authentic apostolic family of churches is not looking to promote itself. It's looking to lift up others and... Now, sometimes, therefore, you, you need to know who you belong to, because even Paul said, you know, I am an apostle to you, or I'm not to you, but I am to you. There's definition. We know where we are in families. We need, fat. We need you know, to know who we are, and brothers and cousins and all the rest of it, and God connects families. But they're never supposed to be divided or, or kind of... Um, they're never supposed to be sort of these walls that we create. And one of the things I, I believe... I believe the Lord is saying for the next 10, 20, 30 years is that we will see such a move in the body of Christ that walls of division will begin to dissolve completely because there's, there's going to come a new style of apostolic Christianity across the, across the globe. Across the globe. I believe God's got a global call for us, but it's not a global call for domination and prominence. It's a global call for servanthood and partnership and family. And, and there's something globally God wants us involved in. And, and we may even not get the, any recognition for that. That's fine. But God is, God is connecting us even now with people in different parts of the world who we've never met before. And he's knitting hearts. So God's got an overarching plan. And I think Paul understood that when he wrote this. He said, you know, it's about unity. It's about maturity. Jesus is praying even today, Lord, let them be one. It's the great unanswered prayer. So if you want to be truly apostolic, we'll get in line with Jesus' prayer. Unity. We've got to work hard at that. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. And sometimes, actually, for the, unity is not all being in the same building with the same agenda. It's actually being 
united in heart, in love for one another. You can, hate, you can have everybody in the same building, but they hate each other. That's, that's not unity, that's, ju- that's just an outward form. So unity has nothing to do with everybody being on the same agenda, necessarily. It's to do with everybody having the same heart, uh, a soft and tender heart. So the next thing we find, it, it, Paul starts to write in verses 8 to 12 about God's global purpose. And he talks about the Jews and the Gentiles and how one became a servant of the other in order. And he said, so that therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Paul understands. He says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with, with his people. Paul understood God's global purposes. Apostolic families see beyond their own backyard. They understand that there's a global purpose that God is doing and they are a tiny part of it, but a significant part of it. Anytime a church locally loses its global perspective, it ceases to become mature. It will become inward, it will become uh, a little circle in a backwater, ever disappearing up its own exhaust pipe. Local churches are supposed to be global in their vision, even if they are in diddly squat by the sea, as Morris helpfully reminded us the other day. You can have a global vision if you are in a village in a backwater that nobody's ever heard of. I come from lower stuff. You don't even know where that is. I have a global vision, right? Because it's biblical. It's biblical. And, And Paul understands that... The goal is one new tribe on the earth, one new man in Christ. We are part of a tribe that's never been seen before on planet earth. It, it, it is a new tribe. It's, it's never been. So it's not like, well, it's Jews with a few Gentiles added in or Gentiles that will have the Jews. No, this is new. It's never been seen before. These, this tribe has never existed. It's a new, God's new tribe on the earth and we are, in, we are part of it. We are part of God's new tribe. So he understands that. Then in verses 14 to 15, let's start to get more, um, more detailed now. Another aspect of apostolic ministry is this, a passionate desire that we make disciples, not just converts. I want you to notice what he says. In verse 14, he says, he's writing to the Romans. He's never been there, but he writes to them. and He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another, right? So he's, he's assessing the maturity of the church from an apostolic perspective. He's a man on a mission. He's wanting to reach places which we'll come on to in a minute. But he, when he's assessing the church, he says, no, I'm confident, I'm satisfied. You yourselves are full of goodness, character, filled with all knowledge, knowledge, able to instruct one another, skills, Character, knowledge, skills. He's looking at the church, and this church can manage on its own. It's now able to build itself up. And then he goes on to say, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Just make a point about discipleship. I praise God for all the disciple-making movements that are going on at the moment. We've benefited, and I love very much the 3DM stuff that is going on in the West. I love the DMM stuff that's going on in the, 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 the Islamic world. I love all that kind of stuff because we need discipleship tools, yeah? We absolutely need discipleship tools. There isn't a but coming. We've got to really embrace them. However, instead of a but. <laughs> however, apostolic ministry, Ephesians 4 gifts are given to help the church mature and I want you to notice what the emphasis he says I'm satisfied about you brothers you can do this yourselves 
but I have written to you boldly on some points. Now, what is that? That's a father just adding in things that he can see they're not going to get unless his grace is given to them. So apostolic ministry and apostolic families of churches want translocal Ephesians 4 ministries, not just apostles, but prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We want these translocal ministries going in and out of our churches to add in the things that will be lacking from a local congregation because the grace isn't sufficient. No local church can answer all its own problems or its own growth. No, no local church has got the whole lot, which is why Paul says, look, I've written to you boldly about this. Even though I'm satisfied, you're able to really be a mature church, but I've still written to you about these things because I think you've got a little bit of a blind spot there or there's some grace I've got that I can now give you. So an apostolic family is going to be constantly looking around its, its, its component parts, all its churches, and think, how do we help this church? How do we help that church? Can this, you've got a grace. This church has got a grace here. Can you send someone to help that church? There's, there's meant to be like a flowing of ministry that produces a maturity across the body. That is why on the, on the, on the authority of Scripture, I would say every church needs to be in an apostolic team of churches one way or the other. Now, I know there's denominations, networks, streams, whatever else you call it. I don't care what you call it. The dynamic must be apostolic. If you give people rule books, you'll get legalists. If you give people grace gifts, you'll get maturity. It's a, it's a, it's a different way of functioning. And for too long, the church has been boxed in by rule books, constitutions. This is how we did it 30 years ago. There's no living grace in anybody to implement it now. God, Jesus still gives grace gifts from heaven. He's still pouring out apostles, prophets, pastors. He's still birthing them. They're in this room. And, and it's only as you give your grace gift into other churches that you will help that church mature. We had a classic example in session one. Clyde has imparted a grace to us that if he hadn't have spoken, we would have not had that grace given. Yeah? It's not, he didn't just give us information, he gave us impartation. That's what Ephesians 4 ministries do. And Paul understood that he needed to, to bring his grace to bear in that situation. The next thing I want you to notice is that, is that apostles and apostolic families do is they break new ground with the Gospels. In verse 19, he says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the Gospel uh, of Christ. And then in verse 22, he says, this is the reason I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Well, what was the reason? Well, the reason was in verse 20. I make it my ambition to preach the Gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But he wants to get to places where the gospel has not uh, been. Now, apostolic ministry, therefore, I believe, must prioritize reaching the lost ahead of care of the churches. Now, because we come from a movement as New Frontiers that emphasized rebuilding New Testament values in church life, which was necessary, is very important. We don't, we now, having restored some beautiful values that we, we heard in the first session, we do not make the priority planting churches with those values. We make the priority reaching the lost. 
because you plant churches because you need churches because of the people who come to Christ. We don't plant churches and then find people to fill them. It's, it's the driver with Paul was, I must preach the gospel. I've got to make sure the gospel is known where it isn't known. So all the way around from Jerusalem to Olympia, his diary was shaped by mission-shaped opportunities. He was not like a superintendent who... So churches say, oh, he hasn't been to see us this year. We should have our three visits a year from the apostolic team. Rubbish. He's just written to them in verse 14. I'm satisfied about you. Tick. You can look after yourselves. Bye. He's never been there and he's not going. Other than when he pops in to help him get to Spain. So he's using them to get somewhere else. Yeah. I just understand his mindset. We mustn't box apostles in. So we think, well, now we've got this lovely family of churches. Let's just, <laughs> let's just have them round every year. So we have a, a cycle of lovely apostolic visits and lovely evangelistic visits and prophetic visits just to tell us how, how you know, just to make us feel lovely. No, we are not here to do that. We are, the reason God has given your church strength is that apostolic mission can extend into regions beyond where it presently is. Now all the pastors, well there's probably not many pastors in this room because it's a pioneering conference, but all the pastors that might be in this room would say, oh, hang on a minute, care of the churches matters. Yes it does, but one of the most important things about taking a chapter like Romans 15, if I could have read it through, is when we teach, if we teach systematic theology or doctrine, we get everything the Bible says about something in one bit. If we even teach on a subject, we just look at that subject. It's much better, I think, to read a chapter like Romans 15, and you get the, you get the flow, the emphasis, the, you understand his thinking, the, the way he emphasizes certain things. There's weight he gives to different things and less weight he gives to others. They're all important, but to get into the mind of Paul helps us to understand the sort of things that really matter to him. That it all matters, but when he says... I've been traveling from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. That's why I haven't been to see you. He's not saying mission matters more than care. He's saying, if I have to choose, I've got to do that before I get onto the care. Do you, do you understand? There is a difference. It's not saying one matters and the other doesn't. Otherwise, we end up just arguing with each other. And you get an evangelist in the corner telling the pastors, that we've just got to do mission. Then you get the pastors arguing back, no, we've got to care for the lost. Both... It's, Romans 15 gives the flavor of it. Just tell him to read that and stop arguing. Just, he understands that he's got to break new ground with the gospel. Then I want you to notice another aspect of apostolic ministry and an apostolic family of churches is there are various components in gospel advance. Gospel proclamation, the, the power of, of declaring gospel truth, be it one-to-one -one or be it on a Sunday morning or be it, you know, in group, however you do it, just telling people the gospel. Then, but then he talks in verses 18 and 19, he says, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders. Word works wonders. This sort of everyone a witness thing that we've been trying to 
say, word works wonders, which John Wimber first sort of, you know, coined that phrase. But there you have it, in those verses. Word, I'll tell them the gospel, works, he talks about deeds, and we'll come on to look at that in a minute, and wonders, the power of signs and wonders. So the proclamation of the gospel, the full package, the toolbox, if you imagine it this way, the toolbox is words, works, and wonders. We go into every situation and think, what is the tool I need here in order to communicate the gospel and, and build this kind of gospel understanding? Do I get, a, what, do I get the, the wonders out first? Do I pray for the sick? Do I get some, some works out? Do I, do I care for the poor? Do I impact the community? Or do I get the word out first? And then, you know, he's, he's got all those tools in his toolkit. Every single one of us needs to carry that toolkit around with us. We'll be stronger in one, some things than we are in others, but we can all learn to increase the capacity of the thing we're not very skilled at. And the best way of learning how to do that is to do it. Because then you learn, don't you? And I'll, I'll come on to that in, in, in a moment. So, the, so an apostolic family must emphasize word and spirit as well as works, things that, um, <coughs> that demonstrate God's goodness. So there's, a, um, there's something there. Now the next, I, I want to kind of just focus a bit more on these last two things, because time is getting when I want to just do this. So this isn't, in some ways I'm not doing a good job of this, because when you read Romans 15, I wish I could preach it, if I had the time to preach it, I'd try and preach it with the emphasis and weight that Paul gives to how he's written it, because that's how it should be preached. For the sake of time, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give emphasis on two things that you could decide for yourselves where the weight is in his writing. But the next thing that um, apostolic families should do is empower the poor. And I want to bring this just to um, reinforce something that Clyde said. Now, in the midst of preaching the gospel in the midst of discipling people, in the midst of caring for churches, I want you to notice in verse 25, he says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what's been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Now, working, uh, I prefer the term empowerment of the poor to care for the poor, working with the poor, helping the poor. I, pr I prefer empowerment of the poor I, for several reasons. One is, I think empowering the poor is a physical demonstration of what the gospel does spiritually. We were disempowered. A disempowered person cannot make choices. So when you read Isaiah 58, it talks about what is true fasting. It's to untie yokes, undo straps. It's to liberate people who are bound. People who are bound don't have choices. That's the definition to me of poverty. It's the inability to make a choice. So it's not just economic. It can be mental health. It can be social. It can be um, 
intellectual, it can, it can be a whole range of things, and the, the poor are not there, they're here. It's not them, it's us. All of us were at one time disempowered, we could not find eternal life. Jesus empowered us to make a choice. So the gospel is, act, that's why Jesus went around doing good, healing people who were disempowered, because he was demonstrating, not only that he had the power to do it, and therefore he's God, but he was demonstrating actually what the gospel spiritually was then going to do. Give people liberation from disempowerment so they can make choices. So I think that apostolic families have got to carry within them an essential ingredient of constantly wanting to empower the poor. When we first started, I, God spoke to me so clearly and he said, I want you to keep empowerment of the poor right at the center of everything you do, both personally and corporately. That's one of the reasons why we've always done our Pathways from Poverty Christmas offering, because we're trying to start businesses in different places where we're you know, working in partnership. We're trying to, uh, I, the definition to me is, are we empowering someone? If we're, if we're empowering them, we'll do it. Paul gave his diary time to empowerment of the poor. He was delivering an offering. He was administrating an offering. He gave his time to administrate and to, he, Empowerment of the poor to him was so important that he built it into his lifestyle. And, and um, I remember Ken McGreevy, who, who's uh, gone to be with the Lord now, but a prophetic guy. I, I met him, only met him once. Um, and I felt God say, you need to go and meet him because he's got a, a word for you. So we met each other on a station in London. We didn't actually know what each other looked like. And so I thought, well, that's your first test of whether your prophetic <laughs> gifts are pick the right person. But we, uh, anyway, it worked out. And um, one of the things, he, I mean, he, he just gave me this <laughs> huge, great big prophetic download, which I still look back on now and pray into. And everything that's happening now, he said, would happen. I mean, it was utterly extraordinary. But one of the things he said to me was this, it is no less apostolic to give yourself to one person than it is to give yourself to a whole family of churches. And he said, remember that when Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing he did was go to a broken-hearted Mary rather than go and appear to everybody else. And he said, God wants you to model that in your own life. Uh, and so I, I, I took, tried to take that on board. And um, yeah, I will just tell you this if I can do this in five minutes. Um, when Clyde said, no one wants a rehab next door to them, um, well, one, one, we ended up with a rehab, Bruce and Denise know this story, uh, we ended up with a rehab literally next door to us. Um, about five or six years ago, a guy moved in next door to Sue and I, who'd been on heroin, uh, he was about my age, about mid-50s, but he'd been on heroin since he was 25, and um, terrible needs, and he's on methadone now, because he, and he never managed to kick that. And um, anyway, I just became friends with him, and um, now living next door, this was really God's crash course for me in how to, you know, do this, because, uh, you know, I could be literally... <laughs> coming home from a th something like this, you know, and I just walk in my gate and there's my wife behind that door and there's Glenn behind that door. Both have my phone number 
Uh, and uh, I'd often just go in and just, you know, you're just tired after you get, and then the phone will ring and it'd be Glenn. Mike, can't get my television to work. Said, All right, I'll be around in a minute, Glenn. Uh, so you go in, he said, um, he said, Mike, can't get my television to work. So I go, now turn it on, Glenn, on. Just on. That's all you got to do. What's the matter with you? It's on. Oh, thanks, Mike. That's great. So, uh, yeah, so several years of then I'd get another phone call. Mike, Mike, can't get my stereo to work. Right, okay. Plug it in, Glenn. Just put the plug in. The, yeah. So I, I just, it could be so surreal. I could be on the phone talking about some great apostolic sort of New Frontiers global advance, and I come off the phone and it rings again. Mike, Mike. Uh, I want to talk about JC as Jesus, right? He, he always referred to him as JC. So I'd have these conversations with him. Try, I'd often pray for him because he'd got terrible ulcerated legs. His legs were, he nearly had to have them amputated several times. Terrible, uh, terrible, because he'd inject in his legs. I mean, he just, it just a mess. And uh, he's got kidney failure and all sorts of, you know, terrible. I'd pray for him and I'd, and he'd, uh, I'd try my best. I'd try my best to share the gospel with him, but it was like, you know, just, just so much damage, so much damage for drugs. I'd pray in tongues over him. I'd do, I do. I used to say to Sue, where's Jackie Pullinger when you need her? For goodness sake, it was just ridiculous. I mean, I tried everything. I was, uh, you know, but he'd always say, Mike, I want to I know about JC. I want to know about the man upstairs. Will you come around and pray with me? So, this, you know, it's just five years of this. And, yeah, quite, uh, quite uh, we became his carers, really. I mean, he... He's got um, his mum and dad, who are 85 and 83, right? And they've been caring for him as a drug, drug, drug addict all of his adult life. And they live locally, and we started to sort of befriend them as a church and all the rest of it. And anyway, Glenn says to me one day, oh, someone, he says, Mike, when, when, when I die, will you do my funeral? I said, Glenn, just, I trust that won't be for a long while, but, you know, yes, I'd be honoured to do your funeral. If that's what you want to ask me, that's fine. It's another one of those, can you come round, I want to talk to you. Will you do my Yeah, all right, all right. Then you go back and eat your toast, I don't know, whatever. You just, it's a strange question. Um, so it's, life is just so chaotic. It's chaotic, isn't it, with people who are just, they're just, you know, anyway. So um, he was a very intelligent man. Really, I mean, Glenn's very intelligent. Really, very, very learned man. But drugs, he just started taking heroin when he was at university, ruined his life. And he said to me, often with tears in his eyes, I know I've signed my own... He said, his dad used to say to me, he knows he's signed his own death warrant. And he just wishes he, you know, he doesn't know what to do. Anyway, about three or four months ago, I did take Glenn's funeral. He died. And uh, I'm there, um, Sue and I are there, and his... Do you know, five people came to his funeral. Five. And what's that for a life? You know, and as far as I know, even with my best efforts, I don't think he came to know the Lord. I don't know, I'm in thief on the cross, you don't know, do you? Um, and I thought, Lord, I'm not very good at this. But um, Sue, I spoke to Sue yesterday and she said, that his parents had been in touch with her yesterday. They want to come to the church. I thought, well, Lord, who knows? Who knows what might come? Now, the reason I started to do what Morris do is ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. What's the matter with you? Put yourself together, man. You've got a plane to catch. 
ridiculous. You're not videoing this, are you? God <laughs> the reason I wanted to share it with you is this. I'm rubbish at this. I need Clyde to help me. I'm rubbish at this. But it was like God's training thing, more because he just wanted me to understand that that's as much a part of what I'm called to do as it is to do this. And I, I don't know, I mean, perhaps the Lord will give me other Glens who I am more successful with. I mean, I, you know, but I, that was, I didn't do very well. I mean, I tried. I prayed. I tried every trick in the book. You know, I, I, I just can't do this. And it just made me realize only God can soften hearts. Only, only God, I can't, you know, salvation belongs to the Lord. It, I, you know, so I don't feel guilty, but I'm just desperately sad. Because I thought, well, I, I did, I gave it my best. Now, the reason I'm sharing with this is Paul took time out of his diary to go and deliver some money to help people who hadn't got any food. Right? So apostolic ministry, apostolic families must have a component of empowerment of the poor. And it's not just a project in our churches. It's each one of us. Because you might have the rehab move in next door to you. By the time you get home, you don't know what's happened. <laughs> You know, it might, it might, it, you don't know. I mean, and I, I don't know where your, where your person will be, but I just felt when Clyde was sharing, I thought, well, I haven't got as many good stories as Clyde yet, but I'm on the same journey. Yeah. Do you get it? So I, I think, well, okay, I, mean, I, I don't know how that one landed, but we'll go again. We'll go again. Clyde could probably tell you many broken-hearted stories as well, where it didn't work, couldn't you? But we don't put those in magazines or on websites because that's not very encouraging, is it? But that is the reality, that sometimes it's, it just doesn't, doesn't work out the way we want it to. And then the last thing, and I will finish with this because um, I need to. In verse 24, uh, he says, I hope to see you um, in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you. Now notice this. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. An essential element of apostolic ministry is enjoying friendship together. Right? It's friends on a journey. Paul said, I'm really, he's saying, I'm looking forward to be with you so we can have some food, some fun, some wine, enjoy ourselves, be refreshed by your company, because the refreshment of your company will give me what I need in my tank to then go to Spain. If we ever become so driven by task that we don't enjoy one another's company, we've ceased to become a family. <laughs> Families do not function just on task. If they do, you'll end up with very dysfunctional children. Families do life together, don't they? If this is God's family, we should do life together. He says, I want you to, you know, we're going to have, I want to be refreshed by your company. After I've enjoyed uh, your company, you're going to help me on to Spain. So it's, a, it's not a headquarters thing. Notice Paul, the great apostle, says, I want to be with you so that I can be refreshed by you. This isn't a headquarters hierarchical superstar who walks in with all the answers. This is a man who needs friends and says, you're going to refresh me before I get on with this next bit because, to be honest, I'm a bit tired and I just need some nice company before I start all over again. 
This is the greatest apostle that's walked the earth. I would suggest if he did it, and even as Jesus did it, come apart by yourselves with me together and let's get some rest. Right? There's something about a fam apostolic families that do life together and enjoy life together. Church's family, it is not a business. It really isn't. So, Father, I just pray that these thoughts will have been of some help to somebody somewhere, Lord, and that somehow, even with my uh, learning, um, I, uh, learning curve that I'm on, I pray that others may be encouraged that, well, I think I can do better than he did, Lord, and that there would be even the empowerment that comes from people who think we're all going to really give it our best shot. Um, so I pray, Lord, keep maturing us, deepening us, and make us more and more like you and how you want us to be as a family of churches. Amen.